You're listening to Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between the League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County, and this station, WFHB. I'm Jim Allison, your host, and Becky Hale is our producer. We're pleased to say you can find Civic Conversations every month on this station, WFHB, at 93.1 and 98.1 FM. And you can also find the podcast at the League website, which is on the World Wide Web. Uh, the address is lwv-bmc.org. I'll give that again, lwv-bmc.org. Today, we're pleased to welcome Michael Leppert. Uh, Michael is a journalist with the Indiana Capital Chronicle, and he's here to discuss with us today the 2022 American Health Rankings Report. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Uh, first off, Michael, why don't you tell us what is the American Health Rankings Report? Uh, tell us who did this public health rankings report, what data they used, and and how has the report been received? Yeah, uh, the uh, the American America's Health Rankings and the the Health Ranking Report that um, I wrote about back in December uh, is a report, a document, uh, a study that that's put together and, and updated regularly by the United Health Foundation. Um, I was just doing generic searches and, and came across it, and there was a lot of data there. They've gathered this, and they were committed to uh, the, the the gathering of that data and analyzing it. The United Health Foundation is the foundation of United United Health, which is a a, a, a healthcare uh, insurance provider. And so, take that take that as uh, as the disclaimer. Uh, but but as you compare, uh, and I've spent some time for other reasons since December comparing some of the findings in the in the uh, the health rankings report that the uh, United Health Foundation put out. It's pretty consistent. There's there's a there's not a lot of things that are that are out of whack. You'll see a a ranking of 44th here, that's 46th there, and that sort of thing. But but the generic messaging that comes through the data that they gathered is pretty consistent across lots of reports. And and I use other reports uh, in some of the classes that I teach, and and uh, and we'll and we'll cite them in future columns because this is the kind of ship that doesn't turn very fast. Um, and so the, the the problem will be will be with problems will be with us for some time. But that's where the report comes from, and uh, it's important, I think, especially in what I do, to to read a variety of them. And and I'm glad to see that the report that I spent a long time in back back in December, uh, pretty pretty well holds up against other data points that I, that I found since uh, then. Just how do states uh, use these data? Well, uh, you know, arguably Indiana's not using it well. Um, uh, I would imagine that uh, that that most states are, and for purposes of of rankings, what what are rankings worth uh, for for me and what I teach? I teach a public policy class, a couple of different public policy classes at at IU, and I write about it almost exclusively um, in the Capital Chron in the Indiana Capital Chronicle. Um, you know. People are going to be unhealthy. People are going to be uneducated. People are going to not vote when they should. Those kinds of things we know are going to be true. So how do you know whether or not you're doing well? And that's comparative. You know, how, how do we do against Kentucky? How do we do against Michigan and California and, and, and other states? And so uh, being able to say that we need to spend more money, which is what's on the table now in the Indiana General Assembly on public health, it's easy to come up with uh, data that says, yes, we should, uh, that, that we're falling behind, that it's causing us problems, that it might not be causing other places. And so it gets used. Um, 
the question is uh, how how well, how quickly, uh, how how adequately do people respond to it? Do, do policymakers respond to it? And and the truth is that what what was found in the American Health Rankings uh, data set that I used, and all the things that confirm it, uh, is not something that just happened overnight. Uh, this is not a weather event; it's a climate uh, event. Um, Indiana has been lagging for a long time, and uh, and this is just uh, the latest uh, confirmation of that of that fact. All right. I have a copy of the report, and I noticed that in this report, overall, Indiana ranks 35th among the 52 states. And that ranking happens to put us ahead of our two of our neighbors, namely Kentucky and Ohio, and a little bit behind our other two neighbors, Illinois and Michigan. But let's let's dig deep a little bit beneath those overall rankings, and let's get into some basic detail. And for example, tell us about income inequality. What does income inequality have to do with public health, and how do we compare with other states on that measure? Well, income inequality. What you'll find if if you, if you get if you get deep and dirty into all the into all these uh, data sets, you'll find that there are certain behaviors, uh, certain conditions, uh, certain uh, certain things. For example, prevalence for smoking or prevalence for HIV infection. All of those things tend to be identifiable in in specific states uh, very differently, and a lot of that can be regional, can be localized. Uh, HIV is, is one of the things that I know that we were going to talk about for, for a moment. It's just an easy example to use. We had a large HIV event here in, in around 2015, 2016 in southern Indiana. That skewed our HIV numbers drastically, but it also educated our, our state about the the ongoing struggle with that uh, with, with that situation and with that those uh, the infectious nature of that and so um, getting into income inequality you'll find HIV infection numbers tend to in our five worst states tend to be concentrated in the African American the Black community but not so in California and so what is what is the reason for that. Um, uh, answering those questions, I think, helps drive policy. So income inequality is a large, a, a large issue here because uh, for, for two things. One is access to health care. And, and, and I hope we get a chance to talk about what that actually means. Um, but also in the things that that uh, that drive us to need health care less. Um, and so uh, the uninsured situation that Indiana has made some strides on in recent years. Um, are things that really matter with our lower income population here. The Healthy Indiana Plan is, is, is the large success um, area for that. Uh, but that is, that is definitely a program that is specific to it, the income inequality program or income inequality status that, uh, that exists here in Indiana and exists everywhere in America. So again, uh, we could talk about those, those things in, in details, but access to healthcare was the first thing. Um, and, and I think access to, uh, to all the things that will, will, I think, lead to less need for health care is probably even a, even a bigger, more prominent thing in my mind. Okay. According to the report, we spend in Indiana about $14 per person on public health and um, 45th in the nation um, on that measure. And I'm wondering, what, what do you think about uh, Governor Holcomb, he's he's making a big push on public health. Do you think that's going to improve that ranking? Yeah, I, actually, I do. I, I think that the, the the spending number will probably go up. 
the 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 struggle is uh, the struggle is the the long term ongoing commitment to uh, the the numbers that need to come up from Governor Holcomb's Public Health Commission that that Dr. Box from the from the State Department of Health and and uh, former Senator Luke Kenley have chaired. They did the study that came up with the number that that was proposed by the governor back in December of, I think, two hundred and seventy five million dollars in additional spending. And I think that that number has already been whittled down to two hundred and twenty million dollars ish that from the House version of the budget bill. Um, so uh, so the, the, the problem isn't that they that I don't think the legislature will keep from spending additional money this year. It will be the ongoing investment. This is not something you write a check for and walk away from. This is something that that has to change in our, our approach, our way of thinking on how we spend and how we invest, spend is the wrong word, how we invest in, in our public health outcomes. Uh, that's something that that's not going to go away after this budget. It's, it's a, a years long, decades long. It's a mindset, really, a cultural shift that we have to uh, make this investment or the, or the things that lurk that keep us down are just going to keep lingering around and keep and keep keeping us down. Uh, so um, I'm optimistic that this budget is going to be better than it would have been otherwise. Um, but the, but the real challenge is going to be the ongoing commitment. And, and uh, that's, that's something that, that uh, will take ongoing, um, ongoing advocacy, ongoing research and, and, uh, and study. All right. I think invest is the right word. Yeah. Um, according to this report, we do quite well nationally on severe housing problems and the prevalence of getting back to HIV, which you've mentioned already, the prevalence of risky HIV behaviors. And I wonder if you could tell us what those particular rankings reflect. And can you talk about those a little bit? Um, sure, a, a little bit. One is there are a lot of things, and, and, and I find myself having, having conversations about specific data points and then things that weren't included in the data that might be driving that sort of thing. I, I mentioned it earlier about the, the HIV uh, event that we had in 2015, 2016 with, uh, with Scott County and how, how actually quickly that outbreak became a, a, a disturbing and scary event, not just in that community, but but sort of a re-energizing of how how quickly uh, HIV infections can get out of control. I yeah. think that I, I would be shocked if we couldn't find a way to show that that event actually helped Indiana grow from uh, the the scary the scariness of that problem. I don't have that data, uh, but when you have those kinds of events, people put up their put up their guard and, and they start thinking more uh, more uh, um, intentionally about mm -hmm. how how we live. But yeah. you find in the column that I wrote back in December, I, I, I was I was flippant about the the situation. But sexually transmitted diseases, Indiana does generally pretty well um, mm -hmm. by comparison to other diseases, which is strange. I mean, I, I found in the data set uh, and mentioned in the column about our low prevalence of chlamydia, and and the, the only reason why that made it into the into the column was it it surprised me. I, I, I wasn't looking for that. It jumped off the screen. It was mm -hmm. how is this how is this going? So. What, what I have found in, in the rabbit holes that I've spent in, in this report and in the health uh, uh, metrics report that I use in my class uh, more often is that they're good at telling you what the data is, but they're not really good at telling you why. Yeah. Uh, so And so finding, and, I, and I'm uh, my wife tells me this all the time, I'm like a four-year-old who never grew out of the why stage. Um, 
I, I don't want anybody giving me a number unless they also include their explanation for why it exists. And, and that's not really what did. that's not what these data reports do. So I, I don't have an answer for that. But I think it's consistent across cultural norms in Indiana that sexually transmitted diseases are we, we, we tend to rank pretty well on that. And I don't have a good answer as to why. OK, good enough. Uh, the authors of this report list three challenges facing Indiana. And one of those three challenges is our terrible ranking in occupational fatalities, which puts us at number 44. Can you tell us what what that's about and how we how can we can we can improve our ranking on that matter? Right. Yeah. There? Um, looking looking to confer again on, on the why on the why front um, uh, for that. The assumption that I had in researching that is I knew we were going to talk a little bit about this is that Indiana touts and Indiana has consistently been this. And, and it's amazing how not well known this is. It probably will be for your listeners uh, more so than others. But I spend a lot of time telling people this and, and I, I almost always get a little bit of surprise that Indiana is a manufacturing state. Uh, most people think that it's entirely an agricultural state once you get outside of indianapolis that all it is is farmland actually you're going to find more manufacturing plants than you probably are going to find family farms and mm -hmm. so i think that both of those things um agriculture is not free from from uh, occupational accidents either right, right both of those things have have a, a a tendency to to lend itself to uh to those safety uh to to to, to safety problems on the job um uh, per, per capita numbers are, are probably horrible uh, mm -hmm. for us. We are in we are in a, a place where there are a lot of people uh, moving around, a lot of very heavy, dangerous equipment, uh, and, and that is that is probably the number one reason why we are susceptible to that number. Now we don't have to be forty fourth just because we have uh, dangerous jobs. Uh, the the, the the real the solution to that is acknowledging that they are dangerous and finding ways to make them less dangerous. Um, so those rankings, just like all the other health rankings, are things that should drive uh, on you know workplace safety programs and workplace safety policies and cultural expectations that um, that are lagging right now. Uh, those those numbers don't have to be as low as they are just because we manufacture things. Um, we should know that going in that that, that that's a danger. Okay, but step number one is to know about it, and you know, yeah, the yeah. data is helpful. The, the, yeah. you know, it's not something to brag about, but it's certainly something that's helpful. Just like the, the expenditure numbers and all the other numbers are, are helpful. Well, that brings us to the next question. Actually, we rank number forty-one in cigarette smoking, where one is good and fifty-two is bad. <laughs> and I, my question is, why do Hoosiers smoke so much, and how does this habit affect public health? Yeah, um, I, I have been in the state house for. Uh, more cigarette battles than than I can remember um, for things like smoking in casinos, uh, things like smoking in restaurants and bars, and the natural and the, uh, the the local uh, parochial sort of uh, arguments that come up with those things. Um, Indiana's cultural uh, perspective on that that keeps us from regulating it and taxing it, most importantly, uh, the way that we should is is the is the is the drive to to let people have freedom, to let them choose, all of those things. Um, the the truth is that we're not taxing it enough. That's just the, the, without question. The price uh, is what I spent time prepping for this, just to confirm what I thought was true. We're not we're not charging enough. And uh, uh, the Healthy Indiana plan is funded by tax, by cigarette tax revenue, not exclusively, but largely. 
um, by uh, uh, cigarette tax revenue and the, uh, the the push to raise that tax, people don't really understand um, in a macro sense that if you raise taxes, people will quit smoking. And if you make it more difficult uh, or, or less, uh, the, if you restrict the number of places where you can smoke, people will quit smoking. All of those things lead to better smoking outcomes. And it, it might just be one smoker. It might just be 10 smokers. But people will be reluctant. People will say, that's the final straw. I'm going to finally do something about this when we have policies that that force that consideration into a smoker's mind. I smoked for 15 years. Um, and the truth is, when I when I went to quit smoking, it was right when they were banning smoking in, in restaurants in Indianapolis. And it made it so much easier for me to quit smoking. I wasn't around anybody smoking. And so all of those policies have a little bit of an assistance. And if our goal is to be healthier, cigarettes should be num in enemy number one. And there's, mm -hmm. there's really no justification for not making it that yeah. um, because the the upside for continuing to be terrible in that ranking is is non-existent. There's nothing good about it. Yeah. If there is a basic economic truth, it's a fact, it's the truth that if you want less of something, you tax the dickens out of it. <laughs> right. It, okay. it's, it's amazing how people don't think that I don't want to have to pay a dollar. It's like, well, actually, we don't want you to pay the dollar. We want you to quit smoking. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're, we're going to charge you a dollar just to help motivate <laughs> you to do what we want you to do. Right. Okay. The authors of this report single out the rate of health insurance for Indiana rates number 26. And the report authors say that we've improved in the last few years from 14% uninsured people to only 9% uninsured, which is an improvement. Now, how much of that decrease uh, is attributed to Medicaid, Medicaid expansion and the Affordable Health Care Act, do you think? Uh, well, well, I think that uh, Medicaid expansion, uh, I, I actually, I, I did, I checked around on, on the reason I, I did ask, the, I, I went on my why campaign and started asking people why. Uh, the Healthy Indiana Plan is what consistently people point to. Hmm. Um, it's a unique thing. It's one of the one of the things that uh, that happened, I believe, uh, began during the Mike Pence years. Um, he takes credit for that, and you know, taking credit in politics is is uh, is hard to is hard to trust. But but I think that that actually did occur under his leadership when he mm -hmm. was younger, and it has worked. Um, it is a, a one point six billion dollar um, investment of Indiana from the hospital assessment fee and cigarette tax revenue to fund uh, in, an insurance program for people at one hundred and thirty eight percent of poverty or less not already covered by Medicaid or Medicare. And mm -hmm. so that is the that is the specific thing that you can point to. There, there are probably other smaller things, but the Healthy Indiana Plan is the reason why we're gaining ground. And again, the fundamental thing about all of this data and all of the success that Healthy Indiana Plan uh, brought and some of, some of the other things that, that we've talked about that we're lagging on um, is that choice, that overt choice that that we need to do better on this and, and deciding to do it. Uh, 5%, uh, going from 14 to 9%, a lot of people are gonna think, so what? But those 5% oh, those people, those 5% of people- that's, that have big, that, that's a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of people. Uh, and it's a lot of money. Um, yeah. It's a lot of money um, and, it's a, and it was a big, bold decision. Um, mm -hmm. But much like what we were talking about with, uh, with the, the governor's um, public health commission money, 
that's about $275 million that he mm-hmm. was talking about. And ongoing, you're, you're back in the realm of the Healthy Indiana Plan. There will be positive outcomes and lives saved and, and life expect, expectancy growth and quality of life that grows because of that $275 million that will be quantifiable two, four, six, eight years from now if if uh, we're successful at that. So okay. the Healthy Indiana Plan is something we should be proud of as a state and the people who who made that bold decision should, should be proud of it uh, specifically. Oh, yeah. Credit where credit is due, for sure. Uh, Finally, um, Indiana, I know, ranks 44th in voter participation. Uh, The national average uh, voter participation, I understand, is about 60 percent. Indiana is 55 percent. And my question is, why are voting statistics in a public health ranking report? What, what, What are they doing there? And how much does Indiana's partisan gerrymandering influence that ranking, in your opinion? Whew. Um, wow. Two um, small questions. Two small questions. I, I have lots of reasons why <laughs> on this stuff. Um, I, you know, I think that um, the tone that I take with a lot of my writing on on public health and on voting is is choosing. And, and I think that what you see in the health data is not something that just happens. It's not just some random thing that happens like the weather or the quality of soil that we have in, in Indiana, we inherited that stuff and we, we can't change that. We can change uh, our voting outcomes and we can change our public health investment. Um, those are things that we are choosing. And, and so I'm glad that they're in, in that report. And, and, and one of the reasons why I think it belongs in that report is that the choices that we make on voting d- directly correlate to the choices that we make on public health investment. And, and so um, that voter turnout number is is a, is a disturbing thing because for me, what I what I talk about with my students is I want to see a government and a, and a, and a body of politics that is competitive, and that competition doesn't doesn't dictate winners. You know, Republicans can win and Democrats can win and all that sort of stuff, and and and, and outcomes will but outcomes will be different if Republicans have to be responsive to the Democrat minority. And if Democrats have to be responsible to a Republican minority in, in the blue states, it's when they get so out of whack where they don't have to respond to the 40 percent of the of the voters who feel differently about them, where outcomes become a little bit less productive, a little bit a little bit more strained. And, and that's what we're seeing and, and will continue to see is my fear in Indiana. There's not a political reason to change the way we do maps right now. And with that lack of a reason. It's a it's a recipe for it continuing and it will continue to drive those numbers down, keep them statistically lower than they should be because people don't feel like their vote matters. And, and I there is no the, the, the amount of things that the, the lack of competitiveness in our voting drives. It's just it's immense. Um, and this is a this is a simple one. Education funding is another one uh, that's obvious, um, but all kinds of things on decision making um, becomes um, disconnected. Uh, from the population when when you have voter turnout numbers at 55. 60% is embarrassing, and that's the average. It should be 80. Um, and everything that we should do should be to drive, to make it easier to vote. And that's strained now because of all the controversies on, on voter confidence. Um, I, I wrote a column 10 years ago about how we should be voting on the internet. Um, and, and of course, yeah, the, 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 the reaction to that today would be that they'd tar and feather me if I wrote something like that now. But the truth is that 
billing and collection companies are pretty are pretty good. You know, they're pretty okay. pretty rock solid. You know, and that's, right. that's how they do All it. Right. All right. Michael Lepper, thank you very much for talking with us today about this important report. And to our listening public, thanks for listening to us on Civic Conversations. This is Jim Allison of League Win Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County. The League is a nonpartisan, grassroots, citizen-led organization that has been fighting since 1920 to improve our government and to engage all citizens in the decisions that impact their lives. Next month, we'll be speaking with Julie Duan and Haggy Katz of the Tannen Birth Center, uh, and they'll be talking to us about maternal health.